Christmas message tonight, so now you'll have to wait to hear that. But uh, I want to just preach from you from the book of Ezekiel chapter 37. The Bible says, The hand of the Lord is upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. Of course, this is Ezekiel telling uh, the vision or telling what he saw that God took him out, brought him to a valley, set him down. It was full of bones. And he led me among them, and behold, there were many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry, meaning they had been there for quite some time. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? I'm sure there was a little cynicism in Ezekiel. I'm sure there's a little doubt. He knows nature. He knows natural order. But I like his answer. He said, Lord, you know. And he, God, said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. I will lay sinews upon you and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded and as I prophesied there was a sound. And behold, a rattling and the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked and behold... There was sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. And then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. And I command, or I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived, they stood on their feet, an exceeding great army. And then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up. Our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves, raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you into the land of Egypt, and you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live. I will place you in your own land, and you will know that I am the Lord. I have spoken, I will do it, declares the Lord. Simple question tonight, this morning rather, that I want to ask, can these bones live? Would you just close your eyes, and would you ask the Lord for his word to speak to you? Heavenly Father, we love you, and we're in your presence. We've worshiped you, and we've come together. God, right now, as we go through your word, as we look to your word, as we hear your word, speak to us. Speak corporately to this church and congregation. Speak as individuals to us, we pray, and we give you glory and we give you honor. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. You can be seated. When you look at the word of God, Genesis chapter 2, just give me a moment to kind of set the stage. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7 says, And the Lord God's formed man from the dust of the ground, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. I am fascinated by that. And I have read that verse. I have read that over and over. I can quote it. I can see it frontwards and backwards. But every time I look at it, it amazes me to understand. And, and, and I think part of reading the Bible and part of understanding the Bible is don't just read and, and, and just see what it says, but, but read the breath behind the word. Read the emotions behind the word. Understand what all it means. It's more than just God forming man. To understand this verse is to realize that God, the Almighty Creator, stooped down to earth. 
and picked up a handfuls of dust or mud or clay, whatever you want to do, and formed a human. It's mind-boggling that God would choose the lowest of all materials to form such a complex body. It's beyond my comprehension. Science tells us that the human body is made up about 65 to 90% of water. I have a lot of water in my body. It's not that I'm fat. I just have a lot of water in there. They said that we're, we're, we're made up of oxygen and carbon. And, and, and then we've got uh, hydrogen and nitrogen and calcium and phosphorus and potassium and sulfur and sodium and magnesium, copper and zinc, molybdenum and fluorine and chlorine and iodine and manganese and cobalt and iron and lithium and strontium and aluminum and silicon and lead and uh, vanadium and arsenic and bromine. It's all what makes us up, but God could do it with just dirt. 206 bones, some six quarts of blood, 10 major organ systems, 50 million cells, 60,000 miles of blood vessels, 100,000 hairs, some of you less, 46 chromosomes, six muscles, 45 miles of nerves, and he did it from a handful of dirt. Somebody said if you could take all the blood vessels out of our body and lay them in by end you'd be dead <laughs> just gotta wake you up we got a small crowd some of y'all are already thinking about you know what you're gonna do and get home I just gotta make sure you're listening to me uh, for a moment this is has nothing to do necessarily with the direction that I want to go but some scientists want to chalk up our whole human being to fate or to evolution but you can't get a final product as complex as the human body unless you are a creator. It's been said, and I've heard it, and people talk about, uh, you, you know, that, that if you give enough monkeys, enough typewriters, and you give them enough time, they'll come up and produce the works of Shakespeare. Okay, maybe, but I'd rather just have Shakespeare. I'd rather have the creator, God, breathed life into man and man became a human being. You have to understand that in that mud-built statue laying there on the ground in the Garden of Eden that God breathed and muscles became uh, formed and contracted and neurons flowed and God's ability to create something from nothing is astounding. That's why the psalmist said it this way, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. God takes mud and creates a masterpiece. Somebody said, and I, I don't know who, who did this quote, but I've, I've had it. I see it various places. Uh, the quality of the creator determines the quality of the creation. The better the craftsman, the better the craft. The better the mechanic, the better the car. The better the engineer, the better the bridge. The better the teacher, better the student. The better the potter, the better the pot. The better the artist, the better the painting. The better the cook, the better the meal. And we were created by the greatest creator of all. God created and God transformed. Perhaps this is why when God robed in flesh walking on this earth when Jesus passed by a man who was blind at birth one of the stories of his healing he, he reaches down and he spits and he makes mud out of his spittle and he puts it on the eyes of that blind man who had blind from the day he was born maybe just maybe the reason he stooped down to earth and used the dust, the mud and the clay is perhaps that's best the stem cells that you and I were created from 
if he did it in the Garden of Eden, if he created us from mud, then why couldn't he just dab a few more drops of mud on blinded eyes and they could see? By the way, God's done a lot of playing in the dirt. If you read your Bible, it's full of references to clay, to mud, to dust, to dirt. He loved talking about the potter in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. We read, he created man from the dust of the earth. In Genesis chapter 3 and verse 14, I may come back to this in a moment, but in Genesis 3, 14, he cursed the, the serpent to slither on its belly and eat the dust. That word dust, it's the same each time. It's the Hebrew word afar, and it means dust or ashes or earth or ground or mortar or powder or even rubbish. If you would read your King James Bible and it talks about dust or ashes or earth or rubbish or powder, it most likely it's translated from that word afar. Every one of those words is to remind you and I that we were created in that same dust that is now cursed by, or, you know, God cursed that dust for, for Satan, but he formed you and us out of that dust. Man doesn't have a very high view of dirt. It doesn't hold great promise for creation. It's easier to look at God that steps onto nothing and calls stars into existence or flings them into space, however you kind of want to view it, but to realize he got his hands dirty with you and I something altogether differently psalmist said it this way I waited patiently for the Lord and he inclined unto me he heard my cry he brought me up out of a horrible pit out of the miry clay he set my feet upon the rock he established my goings he put a new song in my mouth even praise to our God that same miry clay it's the dregs it's the mud it's reminding us where we came from but also where we have gotten back to. God never intended for you and I to stay dirt. God never intended for you and I to stay mud. He created you out of dirt, but he transformed your life at your creation. But unfortunately, we tend to go backwards. That word miry comes from the Hebrew word yavin. It means the dregs or the mud. It's the uh, most undesirable part dregs is the sediment that's in a liquid that if you, if you let it, it settles. The liquid will begin to separate and I'm not a wine drinker and hope you aren't either, but one of the easy ways the Bible talks about it is especially the wine of biblical times. If you let that wine that was created from the, the pressings of, of grapes, if you would let that wine sit too long and it, you didn't shake it, the, the, the sediment would begin to uh, uh, come out of suspension and the sediment would fall to the bottom and you'd grab your bottle and it would have nasty sediment at the bottom. No one liked that. It's the dregs. Dregs aren't wanted. But it was the psalmist that said that God reached down and pulled me from a horrible pit. From the dregs of his life, he picked him up. I, I, one of our pastors in his name is Brother Pastorella. I want to be a pastor named Pastorella. But he's in the Louisiana district, and several years ago at one of the uh, district conferences, there was some, I think about 132 licensed ministers at that conference. And while he was preaching, he asked those ministers, who of you once was addicted to drugs? Who of you once was addicted to alcohol? 
I could do it here in this own in this church, even with a smaller crowd, I could do it. How many of you were addicted to drugs? How many of you were addicted to alcohol? I could even go a lot deeper into other sins. And but but as he said that, they watched all over that congregation as preachers, ministers stood up and said, That's who I used to be. Can I just tell you for a moment that while us humans have a problem with the dregs and we have a problem with the trash and we have a problem with the dirt and we tend to cast people aside and we tend to look at some and say, you know, I just don't think there's much that we can ever do with your life. God doesn't just salvage trash. He doesn't just clean us up. He doesn't just, you, you, you know, brush us off, but instead he transforms he can transform dirt into the complex creation that we call humanity. He doesn't just clean us up. He doesn't just make us look better. He transforms us and let me help you out. God doesn't become dirty by reaching his hands into dirt, but rather dirt becomes clean when it's touched by the creator. God doesn't become unholy when he reaches down into the cesspools of sin, but rather sin is vanquished when it comes in contact with a risen Savior. Listen to me, God, even, even Jesus, God manifest in the flesh, humanity walking among us, he could touch the leper but not get leprosy. He could reach out to the ones that nobody touched and he could touch them, but when he touched them, they would be clean. I've got to tell you right now that God can reach into your dirty situation and he can make new life appear. He can breathe life into your dark and dusty life and you can breathe again and be transformed. But I'm digressing. I've got to get back to where we're trying to get to. Man has died and dried up and fallen apart. If you have your Bibles, I want to want to read, think three, or, or at least go through three portions of Scripture, and they're all going to be within the first couple chapters of Genesis. So the first one, I want you to look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. I, I just, I just want to set the stage for I'm not going to be much longer. I just want to set the stage for a moment. The very first chapter of Genesis, God begins to uh, uh, tell you how the world was created. And if you would, just, just look for a moment at verse 27. And God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. I want you to pay close attention because we're going somewhere. Look at it. God created man in his own image. We are created in the image of God. Okay? He goes on, and I'm, I just, because I, I have a hard time just reading one verse. I've got to show you what comes after, sometimes what comes before. So, just look. God blessed them, said unto them, Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, have dominion over the birds of heaven, have dominion over every living thing that moves on the earth. Just, I know I've preached this before, but let me just reiterate that God gave man at the very beginning power to not sin. When, when that little serpent slithered its way into the Garden of Eden, God had already given mankind dominion over that. The Bible said over every living thing, so he already had dominion. Eve should never have listened. Eve should never have succumbed. Eve should have grabbed that. If Eve was Cajun, she'd have grabbed that, that snake by the neck. I have a cousin of mine. And we were walking. I've heard this all my life that, that, that you could do this. 
But I have a cousin of mine, Royce, and we were walking down the road one day in the woods. We were squirrel hunting, and a snake slithered out in front, and he picked up that snake by the tail and pocked it like a whip, and the head of that snake flew off. And you can do that. There's something about the anatomy of a snake. You can pop them like a whip. And uh, uh, I, I have never, I've tried. It's never, I, I'm a little bit afraid that I'm going to pop that whip. And I'm not a real good whip popper, and that snake's going to come back and put both fangs in the top of my forehead like when I try to pop a whip, it hurts. But, uh, you, you know, if Eve was Cajun, she'd have picked that snake up, skinned it, and we'd have been eating it, you know, along with some crawfish and some other things. But, but Eve had, had the right. God had given Eve and Adam the right to not have to listen and not have to fall and not have to succumb. They had dominion, but because of that, something happened. So Genesis chapter 2 and verse 9, and and I just want to reiterate, and that's really what Genesis chapter 2 is. It's just a reiteration of what happened in Genesis chapter 1 in a little bit more detail. It says that, that if you look in verse 7, that the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living creature. And then you get to Genesis chapter 3. In Genesis chapter 3, Bible says the Lord God said to the serpent and here's the curse because of this cursed you are above all livestock above the beasts of the field and on your belly you shall go and the dust you shall eat all the days of your life it's just God putting Satan in his place I'll put enmity between you and the woman between your offspring and her offspring he will bruise your head you'll bruise his heel it's a prophecy pushing forward to the birth of Christ and the death of Christ that you might put Christ in the grave but his death, burial and resurrection is going to seal the end Satan for your ability to reign over mankind. To the woman he said I'll multiply your pain and childbearing in pain you'll bring forth children your desire will be contrary to your husband he'll rule over you. To Adam the curse was you've listened to the voice of your wife eating the tree which I commanded you so cursed is the ground because of you in pain you'll eat all the days of your life thorns and thistles it shall bring for you you'll eat of the plants of the field by the sweat of your face you'll make bread till you return to the ground for out of it you were taken for your dust dust you shall turn man began to be broken with that inclusion of sin in our life look at Genesis chapter 5 though will will you please This is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them. He blessed them and named them man when they were created. When Adam was 130 years old, he fathered a son in his own likeness. That little phrase right there shows you how far humanity had fallen. Created in the image of God. God intended that everyone that would come after Adam, it would have been said that the next would have been created and formed and born in the image of God. But now you see that no longer do we carry the image of God, but now we carry the image of man. I preached about it a few uh, sermons ago. You could go to Romans chapter 5 and find that by one man, Adam, death entered into all humanity. And so now even in Genesis chapter 5, it tells us that now we're not like God anymore. I, I could, I could. Jesus said it this way: "You're of your father, the devil." It's a sad state of humanity when we find our ourselves in. 
eight times. Genesis chapter 5 is the first genealogy in the scripture. And there's a lot of genealogies. And sometimes we tend to read over the genealogies and we get bored because it's the he begat and, sh and, and he begat and he begat and he begat. And it gets boring. But can I just take your attention to this? Eight times in Genesis chapter 5 you find the melancholy phrase, and he died. Because sin had entered in. And, and on and on throughout the Bible, we see fallen humanity and we see the brokenness of sin and its consequences. And on and on we see that. But I, I got to get back to Ezekiel chapter 37. Ezekiel chapter 37 just simply begins to tell the story of, of God picking up uh, Ezekiel, bring him into a valley and I don't know what valley it was. I don't know why the bones were there. I don't know if a great battle had been fought and nobody had been buried. And I have no earthly idea. All I know is that it was full of bones, Ezekiel says. They were on the surface of the valley. They were dry. They were decimated. I have to understand that they were not connected. The animals, the jackals, the wolves, the hyenas, the lions, whatever it may have been, had had their fill of it. They had pulled the bones apart. Whatever bones belonged to whatever skeleton were no longer in, in the same place. And some of them were broken and some of them had holes in them and some of them were chewed up and some the mice had already got to and the Lord looks at Ezekiel and says can these bones live the privilege that you and I have reading the word of God is we get to see the rest of the story and we understand what this was all about it was a prophecy to Israel that Ezekiel was going to give and God uh, alluded that these, this valley of dry bones is like Israel prophecy also has a secondary understanding and that is we can still look at that even though we're not Israel Israel's past but we can look at that and I believe in all that that, that it, it, it matters to you and I that if Israel was represented by desiccated dry separated bones then our lives and our situations and where we are can also be represented by desiccated dry bones no life in it broken apart messed up we, 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 we have no life we, we can't even be connected we, we can't even uh, get it all together and we wonder what's going to happen and God said to Ezekiel prophesy and he does the Bible's so descriptive he said there was a sound a rattle I don't know how you your mind plays that, that story out my mind plays it out just like the Bible says there was a rattling bones start coming together and the foot bones connected to the ankle bone, the ankle bones connected to the leg bone, the leg bones connected how many of you sung that song as a kid those of you that did not you were deprived and, and as Ezekiel is watching bones that had been separated by, by car carnivores and separated by time and elements, those bones begin to come together. And I, I, let me just help you out. It's the right bone to the right person. Okay, God didn't just willy-nilly put skeletons together. We made fun of my mom because they said that my mom, because they, they, they did the surgery where they just put the screws in, that there's a good chance that that leg will be a tad bit shorter than the other leg. I've had a lot of fun with that. We're going to just cut one high heel, you know, about a quarter inch short. But God knows what he's doing. He didn't, he didn't put, 
you know, a, a bone of a five foot six man uh, leg bone along with, you know, somebody who was six foot tall and they walk around funny. God knows what bone goes where and he knows what rib goes to what rib cage. And, and throughout that entire valley, as far as Ezekiel could see, bones begin to come together. They connected and then tendons and sinews begin to connect. And, and, and in my mind, it's all playing out and he sees it. And it's like in reverse of decomposition. Now there's sinews and tendons and now there's muscles and now there's nerves and blood vessels until finally they're wrapped with skin again. An amazing miracle. An amazing victory. It's incredible to watch what God is doing but they're still dead. Can I just talk to someone for just a moment that you can put a lot of things back together in your life. You can have a lot of things that come back together, but if you are not filled with His Spirit, if you don't have the breath of God in you, you're put together, but you are still dead. In fact, if you would allow me, and I, I'm not, I don't, I'm not attempting to add to the Bible. I realize this is supposition, but I think it's supposition that's based on good, hard science. As great as that miracle is, if I brought out bones and laid them right here, threw them all over, and prophesied to them, and those bones came back, and in front of your sight, you watched it come back, and all the layers of skin and organs come back and now they're laying there you'd think that was a pretty cool miracle but if that's where God had stopped they say that decay and decomposition happens the instant you die you may not see it for a moment but that decay and decomposition it, 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 it happens instantly and the moment that God put everybody back together and clothed them with skin and cool, they, were, they looked right. They looked put back together. Everything looked good. They were still dead. And it wouldn't have been very long before their end result would have been just like when they started. I'm struck by this. I've, I've let my mind wrap around this scripture for a few days now and I, I it's just like God has, has put this one statement in front of my mind that throughout history throughout man throughout even our own lives we've tried so many different ways to put broken pieces back together and there's a lot of people and I've been guilty of it in my own life that my desires be put together I want things to fit I'm tired of being broken I'm tired of being separated I'm tired of, of not being connected and so we can get all sorts of things in our lives back to a proper order and a proper perspective but it just never seems to live the reason is is because God told Ezekiel, going back to Ezekiel 37, prophesied, tell him what's going to happen. He prophesied, they all came together. 
But then he said in verse 9, Now prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, O son of man, say to the breath, Thus says the Lord God, Come from the four winds, Breathe on these slain that they may live. And from the four winds of the earth, Somehow wind began to blow, And it entered into that army of, of corpses still. And as breath entered them, They stood, they lived, They were an exceeding great army. And God begins to prophesy. God begins to speak through Ezekiel. He's trying to tell a dead, desiccated, dry Israel that's broken and separated and some of them have been in exile and they don't know what it is he is prophesying that there is coming a day when there will be a wind that enters into humanity a breath of God that will be in verse 14 says and I will put my spirit within you and you shall live without the breath of God man does not live we talk about the new birth I, I, I realize, and even as I prepare sermons, sometimes I tell myself, Brandon, you just preached part of that last Sunday. You just mentioned that verse last Sunday. It's not because I'm senile. It's just because I can't get past these verses. Go back to John chapter 3, where John says, you've got to be born again to see the kingdom of God. You've got to be born of the water and the Spirit. And then he goes on to say, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. And the wind blows where it wishes. And you hear it sound, but you don't know where it comes from and where it goes. So then is everyone who is born of the spirit. There's two births in our life that has to happen. The first birth is a natural birth. Every one of us conceived, every one of us through labor was born. While the beauty of conception is, and the physiology of conception is incredible, don't ever forget when you took your first breath, it was because of God. God breathed into you and you became a living soul. But the Bible says you must be born again. And if you were born of God's breath in the physical, you must be born of God's breath in the spiritual which is why the Bible shows us there are pages and pages through the Old Testament pages into the Gospels that prophesy that there is coming the outpouring of God's spirit where God will do what he prophesied in Ezekiel to breathe life into those who were dry and desiccated those who were separated and broken apart that's why the Bible says in Acts chapter 2 which is the very first time that God's Spirit is given. And on the day of Pentecost, they were all together in one place. King James says not only were they all in one place, but they were all in one accord. There was unity. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind and it filled the house where they were sitting. It appeared cloven tongues or divided tongues like as a fire appeared to them, rested on each of them and they were all filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit. They began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance and God breathed again into mankind and from the day of Pentecost and now to right now on December 15th, 2019, God still desires to breathe into people and when he breathes into you you will live 
Perhaps you've gotten some things together in your life. Maybe you've been able to put some things back together. And I'm thankful for that. I'm glad you are, but you're still wondering, why don't I feel alive? Yes, some things are better. Maybe you got finances in order. Maybe you got a family in order. Whatever. Maybe you've put some things back together, but you still don't feel alive. The reason is you're like that valley of dry bones in Ezekiel. God put it all together. They were not alive until the Spirit came. And so today I challenge you. Today I implore you. Today I speak to you. You need His Spirit. That's why Peter, after all that happened, and he began to preach, and he preached the gospel, he preached Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. At the end of that, Acts 2, 36, 37, they said, what do we do? I want what you have, Peter. I, I want my life back together. I want to live. Peter said, well, repent. Be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission or removal of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Back up to Acts chapter 1, verse 8. What is the Holy Spirit? What does the Holy Ghost do? It says it will give you power. It will give you life. Another verse says not only will he give you life, but he'll give you life more abundantly. I wonder all across this place on a snowy Sunday morning to end it here. And I'm preaching to those who maybe you've been put together. Maybe you, you, you feel like you're getting some things back together. But I'm telling you, you need His Spirit in you. And what you do is do what Peter did. Repent. Say, Lord, I don't want to live in my broken state any longer. I don't want to live with the broken humanity anymore. I've tried it my way and I've failed. And I realize I've sinned and come short of the glory of God. I understand that I'm dead in my sin and trespasses. Lord, I'm asking that you forgive me. I'm asking that you cleanse me. That's what baptism is. It's the cleansing, not only of your conscience, but a cleansing of your heart, your soul, your body, your mind. The washing away of, 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 of the sin by the word by the blood of Jesus Christ when you go down in that water of a baptismal tank it cleanses you and then we say Lord fill me breathe into me so that I might live would you close your eyes all across this building you can come to an altar and pray you can pray right where you are but I, I implore you I'm asking you make sure you're alive today not just put together not just some things in order but be alive today through the Spirit of Jesus Christ.